media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated this morning, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going verse by verse uh, through Philippians. I told you last week, I just reminded you a couple of seconds ago, uh, this is my favorite passage in the Bible. I, I love all the Word of God, uh, but this probably has impacted my ministry over the last 41 plus years more than anything. Um, most of those times of impact, it has completely silenced me. It has spanked me on too many occasions that I can even imagine and count. And it has broken me and reminded me of my prideful heart. And when we begin to look at Christ and the humility that is described here in this passage, it is hard to walk away with anything but kind of a conflict because uh, in our own humanity because we are prideful people. We'll, we'll look at that a little bit later. But at our core, after the fall, we are a very prideful people. And, and we even see that our original sin and, and rebellion against God, even the angels had this pride in it's what Satan got thrown out of heaven for. It all comes down to this pride that now is inherent and core to our very being. And so all of a sudden when we see something about humility here, it goes against the wiring that we have. In fact, you know, even as we would teach our children, we want them to, to end up being humble adults. But you know, a lot of the, the lessons that we teach little kids is to stick up for themselves. And that's because sometimes I don't know that we always really are good at identifying the difference between Christ-like humility and humiliation. Christ was never humiliated, or I believe that he never allowed himself to be humiliated. No, he chose the path of humility. And there's a big difference. There's a really big difference. Jesus was nobody's doormat. He was a man's man. I believe in every capacity. And yet at the same time, as we would read this week and in the weeks to come, as we see this description that Paul gives about the path that Christ took, it was an emptying of himself. It was not something that was taken from him. It wasn't something that was robbed from him. It wasn't against his will. No, he willingly walks this path. And so that's our challenge today. How do we willingly do that? How do we come to a place in our lives when we say, okay, here's a path of my pride, And here's a path of humility and thinking of others more than I think of myself, which seems like a human impossibility. I'm wired to think about myself. I'm wired to... How many of you have already thought about what you're going to have for lunch? Or now that I said that, now you're just, oh yeah, what are we having for lunch, you know? How many of you have wondered what I'm having for lunch? Not a single person, okay? And, and to be honest with you, I have not thought about what you're having for lunch either, okay? See, we just, we're contained right here, and this is our natural kind of thinking process. We think about, you know, different things, and, and from time to time, we can think about the people in Florida, and yet we're thankful that the storm didn't hit here, and, and yet, so it's not that we cannot be compassionate people, it's not that we only think of ourselves, but our natural wiring is always going to be first and foremost thinking about ourselves. It's just how we are now that the fall has come. That is, that we, because of sin and being born in that sin nature. And so I come to this passage and it has guided me. You know, whether you are in business and you have heard seminars on servant leadership, a lot of it is birthed out of this passage right here and this description of Jesus Christ. It's a perfect mix of theology, practicality, and just good sound reasoning, just good common sense. And in these 11 verses, we see a 
uh, the foundation of Paul's letter to the Philippians? I would say that we see a foundation of all of Paul's writings and all of his theology is kind of core to this is how you live it out. At the core of his theology is always going to be that Christ and Christ alone has made us right with a holy God when we trust in the work of Christ. That's the core of his theology. The core of his practicality of how do you live this out, we begin to see is, is really in the heart of this passage, I believe. And so Philippians has all these really loaded verses. It has all these famous verses, like, like Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and I told you before, guys, we use that kind of as this bumper sticker. We kind of use it out of context. You understand the humility of Christ, and you will get, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How can I ever think of somebody else as much or more that I would consider myself? This is so unnatural. This is so against the way that I'm wired up because of Christ. When you understand this passage, then you begin to understand truly all these other wonderful passages here in context. I, I, I would even believe that uh, the, the, this truth not only is life changing, but it will change you perhaps more than any other in practical sense than almost any other passage in the Bible. So with that in mind, let me go ahead and I'm going to read all 11 verses. We're not going to cover all those 11 today, but I want you to see the full context, at least of this part of what Paul is writing. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse, going through verse 11. And it's not going to be on the screen right now, so if you have your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, whatever, you can follow along with me. I'll be reading from the ESV version. So if there's any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others." Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Paul begins this passage by connecting it with the study that we had last week. The major verse I told you last week and and the number of verses that we're looking at were Philippians 1.27. It's kind of this core part that holds the rest of the instruction together. And in Philippians 127, remember he said, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see that you are absent, or I hear of you, and that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith, uh, for the faith of the gospel. He puts all the emphasis that our life as a Christian should reflect a Christ-likeness. Well, 
what does that look like? Well, in this aspect, it starts with an attitude more than it does actually with actions. To have that attitude. That's what he's going to say in verse 5 of chapter 2. Have this attitude, have this mind, and then the actions will follow. Do you think actions develop attitudes? They can. But most time, attitudes develop actions. Especially when we're talking about humility. That out of a humble heart are going to come, you're going to see things that you would not see if you don't have a humble heart. If I just stay with my own prideful heart, there's going to be things I'm just blind to in my humanity. And yet this attitude of Christ-likeness, all of a sudden I'm going to see maybe that person that's sitting all by themselves. Were you the type of person that when you were growing up, especially like in middle school, you know, elementary school, there's still a certain amount of kindness. High school, you're on your own kind of way. Middle school, oh my goodness, middle school so tough. I mean, you, it's a time of life when you hear everything that somebody has to say about you. And, and, and do you remember in, high, in, in middle school how sometimes there was a kid all by themselves at the table? And maybe you were that child. Maybe you were that kid. Maybe you're the one that saw that and would go over there and want to sit down and make sure that they were not sitting alone. Folks, attitudes then develop actions. And that's really the core of what Paul's saying. This is a very practical, it's theological, it's based in theology that we can't have this without the work of Christ. So it's theological in nature and its foundation, but it is practical in the way that we would live it out. And he starts with this attitude. Last week for men's study, we were looking at the the CS, uh, the Christian Standard Version. And I love how they start this that passage of uh, Philippians 127. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, and that's really a great translation from the original. Uh, just one thing. That's what Paul was saying. Man, you do this one thing. You grasp this one attitude of reflecting the humility of Christ, and, and everything else is going to kind of flow into being. Would you say that if you had the attitude of humility in Christ, that it would affect your marriage? Would it affect the way that you either go to work and you're working under somebody, or if you're over people, the way that you would affect those people that are working under you? Would it affect the way that you just live life as you're standing in line and that person seems to have, you know, they're taking forever and you're waiting and you're in a hurry? I mean, very practical things, guys. This attitude, all of a sudden, I see a lot of smiles on that last one. We've all been there, believe me. Wait, wait, weren't we at the restaurant first? I believe we beat them by five minutes. Why are they being seated? You know, man, that's a real godly thought right there. You know? And yet, this attitude of humility can change all that. Not because we are a more moral person. No, because we're a more Christ-like person. I think that's the biggest thing that I think Paul's trying to get across here and that we'll see in the weeks to come is that this comes as a fruit of life in Christ. It does not come in a new and improvement. This is not a life coach saying, hey, here's some ways to get ahead in business. This is God saying, you want to reflect Christ in your life? Then have this attitude, have this mind that was in Christ, have it in you. I can never do that, Pastor. How can we be like Christ? Because God has given us his very spirit to empower us. 
Good theology, but it ends up in practicality. And that's why he can say just one thing. As citizens of heaven, this is who you are now. Reflect that in the way that you live. Good theology, good practicality of how we live it out. So Paul shows us what that looks like in real, in, in real life. The first thing that we notice is where it comes from. This unity, if you notice that there, he repeats in Philippians chapter 2 some of the things that he just stated at the end of Philippians chapter 1. Now remember, guys, we're the ones that added chapters and verses, okay? Paul didn't say chapter 2, verse 1. No, we came back and so that a pastor could get up there and say, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. We came back and added where we thought breaks would be and kind of divided up. Paul wrote one letter. He didn't divide it up. He's just writing to the Philippians. But we see a consistency between chapter 1 and chapter 2. Why? Because we've broken up that way. And what is this consistency? That is a call for unity. And this unity is not from external pressure or ruling. Paul is not trying to clone Christians to all look the same. Have you ever felt that before? That somehow, you know, people just want, okay, all you Christians, y'all just, y'all dress the same, you look the same. That was not the intention. But he did want us to act the same. This is not a unity that comes from external pressures, but it's a unity that is internally driven by the work and the grace of Christ. Look at it in verse 1 and 2. What's the first word in your particular version? I know we have a lot of different versions. And the ESV, it's the word so. Anybody else have another version with another word? Therefore. And that good connecting word. Okay, because of this, therefore this. Somebody else? If. And you probably have the NIV. And we're going to look at the NIV in just a second. And it uses a lot of ifs. All of those mean the same thing. Now, depending on if you have the NIV or the ESV or the King James or this, that, and the other... If you have this properly interpreted, there's a connection between this theology and this high call to practical living. Look what it says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He comes back to all the things that he said in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, and he comes back, and in the result, he said, it's the same. In fact, he says, this is the connector. If, so, therefore. He's answering this in a way that's almost um, uh, a rhetorical question. You know how you ask a rhetorical question, but there's already an assumed answer? And what he's assuming here is that if you really are a Christian, if you really are in Christ, you're going to start looking more and more like this. That more and more you're going to be of one mind. More and more you're going to be unified. Now, why is he writing this? Is the church at Philippi, the Philippians, are they a good church? Yes, they're a good church. Are they a perfect church? No. And one of the things that he dresses here is that two ladies in the church were fighting and they both had a gathering. Now, that would never happen in the modern church, we know. But in the old church, there was a division. And some people took this side, and some people took this side. Some people said, Mary's right, and some people said, Martha's right. Their names weren't Mary and Martha. In fact, their names are given there in chapter two, uh, chapter 4, verse 2. 
I've always thought how cool that would be to have your name in the Bible. Then I always thought how terrible that would be that it's in the Bible because you're arguing with another lady, you know, another person. You know, if you're going to be in the Bible, be in there for a good reason, not because you're part of this disruption. But it, this had hit the church. It's a good church, guys. Good people. And yet this disruption, this division between these two ladies started to divide the church because some people said, I think she's right. She's got a point here. And others said, well, I, I, I kind of feel for this side. And people started taking sides. What's well, Paul's instruction? Unity. One mind. One spirit. Is that possible? Is it possible in a marriage? Is it possible in family life? How many of y'all have a crazy part of your family? Yeah. I can remember telling Carly before we went home to, you know, extend a family that first Christmas. Now watch out for this one. He's not all there. And was I right? Yeah, I was right. And time has proven that time and time again. Is this just a pipe dream? You, you take a husband and a wife, and even if you have love, and all of a sudden you're supposed to have one mind, one heart. We've been married now. For a long time, 38 years. And there's things we just see differently. But I can tell you that because of Christ, because of the hope of Christ, when we're both in the spirit of God that is reflecting what Christ likeness in our life, he brings us to one mind. Does that mean that you always end up agreeing on the things? You have the same exact view? No. What it means is you have an attitude of unity. Does that make sense? How many people have been married uh, 25 years or more? Does that make sense to you? That you don't have to agree and have the same exact philosophical perspective, but that because of the spirit or the attitude of unity, you're going, okay, either this... I'm not trying to be crude, but, you know, toilet seat up or down. All of a sudden, for one, for the guy, it may be, hey, that's a big thing. It wasn't when I was a bachelor, but it is a big thing now. But it works the other side too. Hey, that's a big thing. Why does he always do? No, it's not that big of a thing. I'm not trying to be silly, and I'm certainly not trying to be crude, but I was in little things and big things. Because I promise you, I promise you, one of the, the areas when you start having children, I mean, we begin to say, well, I, I just thought that we were going to do this. And, well, no, I assumed we were going to do this because this is what my family did. You don't have to always have the same exact thought process. You have to have, to have the same exact uh, conclusion. You can have different convictions about things. But this attitude is really, really important. That's just an example of what he's calling this church into. Because there's division. So look what he says. He calls them this the mindset in this attitude, in this unity. Where is it coming from? Now look again at verse 1 and 2. If there is any encouragement... In Christ. Not from the Smith family because you're a Smith or from the Jones family because you grew up as Jones. This encouragement 
in Christ. Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit. And as we begin to see these different things, the affection, the sympathy, it's coming from inside of us. Why? Because of Christ inside of us. Don't miss this. Paul is not is talking about unity, not uniformity. Folks, there's a big, big difference. Uniformity is usually from external pressure. For example, 55 miles an hour. How many of you in your heart really want to go 55 on that particular road? How many of you would like to drive 95? Yeah. And yet you may become unif- you, know, you, you may, uh, concede yourself to uniformity because you're going, okay, I don't want to be thrown in jail and, and I don't want to pay this ticket. So this external pressure, it wasn't like I said, you know, I just like going 55, even though I'm the only one. Anybody ever travel out west before on some of the long highways out west where you can see down the road five miles? And there's not a car coming for five miles. And yet there's still a speed limit of like 70. You know, they do inch it up a little bit. But you're going, you know, I could go 90 here and not be a danger really to myself or to anybody else. External pressure, speed limit sign, you got to go 70. It's not because the attitude in your heart. No, you want to go 120. Let's just open this thing up and see how fast you can go. This is the attitude, but it's constrained by this uniformity. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about unity, and that comes from an internal thing. Again, we could look at marriage. Two people that look at money or kids or all kinds of stuff very, very differently, but we're unified. Why? Because we love one another. We see a bigger picture because of God calling us together. The source of this unity that Paul is calling them to is not them becoming better people. It is unified in Christ. It is the Holy Spirit of God changing their minds and their attitudes. That's the connection that Paul makes. For those that before had the NIV, in in verse 1 and 2, look at the NIV in, in verse 1 and 2. And look at the number of times that you see the word if. It's there four times. And why is he using it? For, for all those people that just loved English class, I was not one of those. This is a first class conditional phrase. I wouldn't even be able to tell you what that was if it wasn't for instructional books in front of me, okay? But this word if is used in a first class conditional phase. And what that means, again, is like almost in a rhetorical question sense. You already assume the answer. You're assuming the connection even though it's asking the word if. And what is he asking the word if about? If that you have any encouragement from, from being united with Christ. Let me ask you this question this morning. Are If you're a Christian this morning, are you encouraged because you now are unified, you are united with Christ. Okay? If any comfort from his love, have you ever been comforted by Christ's love? Yeah. Do you have fellowship with the Spirit? What about, have you ever felt the tenderness and the compassion of God? He's assuming that if you're a Christian, you've experienced all this. Have you ever said that phrase, I don't know how people do it without Jesus? 
Have you ever said that before? And you really were being, you weren't being sarcastic. You weren't being judgmental. You were simply going, man, this is tough. This is really hard to go this way. And I have the very spirit of the living God. How do you even make it without that? That's the premise of Paul's writing. And he's turning it into, okay, because we know the answer that there is encouragement, there is comfort, there is fellowship, there is tenderness and compassion that we have felt from God. Because of those things, now guys, show that to others. Wasn't that the premise of chapter 1, verse 27? When he said, live in a manner worthy of the gospel, he wasn't saying pay back God. We could never pay back God. What he's saying is because God has done this, now live in reflection of that. I really struggle. Self-confession. I really struggle. And I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm not trying to hurt feelings. I really struggle with people say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And yet it's not reflected anywhere in their life. Because I, I just don't think it's biblical. I'm not trying to be judgmental. We're all at different stages. Some are, are just new in Christ and babies in Christ. Others have walked along with God. I'm not saying that from a judgmental. I'm just saying it from a biblical way. How can you have these things and it not change the way that you feel about those around you and the world that God has placed you in? How can it not transform your mind as he says in other letters? This is a high calling. And we don't live this way to earn God's favor. No, because of God's favor, because of his encouragement, because of his comfort, because of this fellowship that we have with creator God, he says it should change your life. That's where he's coming from. He's not asking truly if. He's making the assumption. Hey, if there's anything to this faith or this belief... If there's anything to the reality of Christ really was the Son of God and He died for your sins and He rose again for you, He said, if that really is true, then it's going to change your life. And I could not agree with that more. So with that in mind, look again what He says. Encouragement, just like we see in John 1.9. When we see something, you know, because our sins have been forgiven and we've been cleansed from all unrighteousness. Does that encourage you? Encourages me. <laughs> when it says comfort, again, my, my favorite verse, Romans 5 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ pursued me. He pursued me. Does that bring you comfort on days that you're not pursuing him? On the days that we're the prodigal? As the King James says that, that I grew up with, that we're in the city with riotous living. I, I remember that as a 12-year-old. What is this riotous living? It sounds exciting. <laughs> Until I read on and found out, oh, he lost everything. But at least for a couple of verses, I'm going, that sounds exciting. Riotous living. And yet he's comforted because he has a father that pursued him. That allows for him to show repentance. We go down that list, we see the fellowship and the tenderness, all these things that Christ has done. Now ask yourself this question, what is the source of all those things? Who is the source of all those things? What is the source of all those things? Religion? Then what is the source? 
God through Christ. And that's why he can come down and he can say, okay, have this attitude in you that was in Christ. That's the connection that he makes. He's not saying, here's the self-improvement. This is not a life coach saying, this can be the best you ever. Matt, in our book next week, C.S. Lewis, good men are new men. It's my favorite chapter in all of, if you've ever read Mere Christianity. Because we think, oh, you know, he's going to church now. He's a better man. No, he's a new man if he's in Christ, guys. This is our hope. Not that we're better men and women and daddies and mamas. Know that I'm a new husband. I'm a new father. I'm a new person in Christ Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. All this hope is down to the person and the work of Christ. So what is the instruction? Verse 2 and 3. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. How many of you does that sound like a good thing to do? It sounds very honorable. It sounds very moral. It sounds very Christian. And yet... The real challenge here is not just to have the actions of that, but to have the attitude of that. Not just to sign up once a a week for the Red Cross. Not to see the dilemma of all the the hurricane down in Florida and go, you know, we need to send some things down there. That's good. Please, Please hear me that I think that this is of value. But this isn't just becoming a more charitable person. This isn't as they have tragedy in their life that we're going, okay, you know, we, we can send some money or we can send some water or we can send some whatever. Now, this is an attitude that all of a sudden we have eyes that actually focus beyond just the end of our nose. And I'm just telling you that that's, that's not natural. So where does this come from? How do we develop into those people? It all comes from Christ. Not only does he give us the example, he gives us the ability. He empowers us to actually think of others more than we would think of ourselves. Let each of you look, verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind, this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian here this morning, if you've put your trust and your faith in the finished work of Christ, that he died for you and he rose again for your sins, and that is what has united you together with a holy God, then he says, this is yours in Christ Jesus. You have this ability now. This humility comes from the life of Christ himself. And we'll look more into that next week as we look at verses 6 through 8. But, but let, me, let me get into the practical here. The, the key to a better marriage, guys, the key to a, a better church, a key to, to being a better worker or a better boss is Christ-like humility. To have an attitude that starts to think of others more than you think of yourselves. Folks, would you agree that we are full of pride? Pride was the original rebellion against God. The book of Isaiah tells us about Satan. 
how he was the most pretty of the most powerful, the most you know beautiful of all the angels. Isaiah 14 verses 13 and 14 says, "And you said in your heart, I will send." This is Satan. I will send to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend to the highest of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's what the words of Satan. What is that a spirit of? Pride. I'm the most powerful of the angels. I'm the most beautiful of the angels. The only one above me is God, and I'm going to take him on. That was Bobby's paraphrase. That's basically what he's doing. And what happens? He gets cast out of the presence of God, along with all those that kind of bought into that. A third of the angels out of heaven. When we look at what we call the original sin in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, 6. And so when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... Where's all the focus? Man, this looks good to me and it's desired to make me wise. She took of the fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who ate. This this whole sin, a basis of pride, this focus on self. Pride is internal. Isaiah passage, said in your heart. The Genesis passage, desired to make one wise. It lives and is the core of our sin nature. It is the root of all of our sins, our own pride and our own selfishness. Have you ever noticed that the measure of pride and the measure of uh, selfishness kind of work in unity? They, they, as one goes up, it's, I'm feeling more and more selfish. It's kind of generated by my pride, and my pride generates more selfishness. So they, they work together. You're, you're gonna, they're cousins, and they just hang out together. The biblical conclusion is that you and I don't have a dose of pride. We don't have kind of a, you know, I'm not feeling so great today. I've got just a little bit of a sniffle. No, we have a full, we have a deadly case of arrogant pride and selfishness. Would you agree biblically on that? Because that's what the Bible says, okay? <laughs> so it seems as though God is asking for the impossible because if we're wired up this prideful and this selfish. How in the world can we ever be like Christ? Because of Christ and because of his victory. Both the work of the Christ of Christ on the cross, the example of Christ on the cross, Paul not only suggests humility, but he shows us the defining marks of true Christianity. Humility, this mindset reflects that Christ is in us and that we are in Christ. Have you ever heard the phrase before, preach the gospel to yourself every day? The Puritans used to to say that a lot. Preach the gospel to yourself. Well, now what do they mean? Remind yourself of who you were and who you are. This next quote. The gospel takes us lower than we would ever take ourselves. And it takes us higher than we could ever take ourselves. Do you believe that's true? That has some truth? Now, what, what does the person mean by the gospel takes us lower than we would ever take ourselves? Most of us, when we're describing any element of our own badness, we kind of minimize it. Why? Because we said, well, at least I'm not like fill in the blank. 
and we pick out one of the worst human beings who's ever walked this earth, and we're going, at least I'm like him. So we don't take ourselves low. We may take ourselves a little bit lower, but we don't take ourselves low. And that's why, do you know that years ago in that song, Amazing Grace, they wanted to, a lot of people wanted to take out the word that saved a wretch like me. Well, I'm just kind of offended by that whole wretch stuff. Because, you know, I'm just not really a wretch. But the Bible says that you are without Christ. That was our condition. So there was nothing holy within us. There was nothing righteous in us. All of our righteousness is from Jesus Christ. So the gospel, the true gospel of what Christ has done, it's going to take us lower than we would ever take ourselves. But get this, here's the good part. Okay, guys. It takes us higher than we could ever take ourselves. Have you ever felt unworthy of God's grace and his mercy? I mean, had those mercy, those days when you're going, God, you know, I don't know how you love me. I don't even love myself. Well, it's good that you don't have to love yourself. <laughs> God sufficiently loves you if you're in Christ. I mean, God is love. He loves everybody, but that love is, is uh, personalized when we trust in what Christ has done. And he takes us higher I mean, do you really feel like a child of the living God? I mean, just when you wake up in the morning and you don't want to go to work and the spouse is snoring all night and you didn't get any sleep and you're going, man, I feel so holy this morning. That's not, that's usually not the 445 when the alarm goes off in our house. That's usually not the first thought that, that enters my mind at 445 in the morning. You know, I'm just feeling so holy right now. I'm not feeling like a child of the living God, creator God. But you know who I am that morning because I'm in Christ? I'm a child of the living God. Takes me higher, the gospel takes me higher than I would ever take myself. And when we really understand the gospel, when we embrace the gospel, when we preach the gospel ourselves, we'll understand this more and more every day. Let's start to close. Philippians 2.5, have this mind, this attitude in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. There's a challenge part to have this mind, this attitude in yourself. That's the challenge part. Here's the encouraging part. This is yours in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, you already have the ability to do this. It doesn't mean it's automatic. But now you have the ability. Why? Because the Bible says that when we become a Christian, when we're saved, whatever term you want to use there to talk about when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God, God himself, comes and dwells in us. And he gives us the ability to do things that we would have thought unthinkable before, especially thinking of others more than we do ourselves. And in a couple weeks... We're going to look at verses 6 through 8 because Paul goes deep, deep in this and he begins to describe this humility. What does this attitude really look like? Challenging? Yes. Possible? Yes, in Christ. How would it change, for those that are married today, how would it change your marriage if you embraced Philippians 2.5. God, 
I see the attitude of Christ. I see the mind of Christ. And, and now you said that that's mine. I, I can think that way. I can react that way. I can have an attitude that produces the actions of that. That's what God is saying. How would it affect you in all the other relationships that you have in life? This is what God is saying to us. Challenging, yes. But encouraging, yes. It's a high call of the gospel. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, this morning as we come, as we open up your word, we see this part of your word, Father, that is so challenging to us because we know that our very DNA, Father, our very wiring is kind of set up in a, in a whole different manner. Father, I just naturally think about my own self. Father, I, I see when I got to the restaurant and when everybody else got to the restaurant and I, I just think, okay, we should be next. I don't have to strategize over that. It just comes naturally to me. And Father, I can give a thousand other different descriptions of how my own selfishness, my own pride, my own narrow sighting on focus on self comes out every single day. So in one way, Father, we read this and it seems like it's impossible. And yet, Father, you've made it possible to everybody who is truly a Christian, everybody who truly has trusted Christ for their salvation. And you've empowered us now, Father, to be able to to live this life. For me to love my wife as Christ loved the church, impossible on my own, made possible by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the empowering of your spirit. Father, thank you. Father, thank you for Christ. He is our hope and and, and he is our redeemer. Help us to stand amazed, Father, amazed at this Christ. So amazed that it begins to change our attitudes and therefore change our actions in life. We love you, Father, and we thank you for Jesus. And how that brings us new life every single day. We pray this in the power of his name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.